Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Pressure, pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Pax What She Said podcast. My name is Perry Goldstein, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Maggie Loney. And we are also joined today by a very special guest that we've been wanting to have on for a bit. It is Eric Eager of PFF. Welcome, Eric. Thank you for joining us. Maggie Perry, thanks for having me on. Uh, this is I love what uh, She Said TV and, and, and pack what she said uh, is doing specifically. So it's an honor to be on. Well, we appreciate that. Um, we were saying pre-show, you know, we know we're, you're not really a Vikings fan anymore, but you are a <laughs> plugged-in follower of the team, so we felt like it'd be really interesting to get you on to kind of preview this matchup. Um, obviously, before we start, we ask all of our guests just a little bit about their background. Um, I'm certainly very curious how you landed at PFF and what your journey was to kind of get to where you are. Yeah, people ask like I people ask me this all the time because there's like a burgeoning like uh, you know sports analytics you know career path for people now and you know my mine is certainly I I think not one that you would want to repeat I guess now I I um, I grew up in Minnesota I played college football at a school called Minnesota State um, when I was done with that I went to the University of Nebraska and I got my PhD in math. Uh, and then I taught at a, at University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, which is where uh, Brian Gutekunst went. Uh, and and for a while there, our school was a goat. And then now it was you know now it looks good because he's uh, certainly spun up a great roster this year. Um, and then while I was there, so my my degree is in like mathematical biology, and like I used to study like disease dynamics and things like that, which is kind of funny given where we are now. I was <laughs> there that like what you're learning is actually really important. And and then there was the I think 2014 was a year where, like we had the Ebola scare and I was like telling all my students like, okay, the, these are the dynamics of a pandemic and an epidemic and all this stuff. And then we had like two deaths in the entire United States uh, with that. So uh, when, when COVID-19 rolled around, it was a little bit like, oh, you know, are we going to go one way or the other? Um, and then about halfway through my time at, uh, at uh, UWL, I started just like, I, I wouldn't say it was bored, but like there were just, you know, frustrations with, um, you know, the way things were in Wisconsin and stuff like that, that I, I started writing for PFF on the side. And, um, and really, I was sort of surprised at the time that no one in our company was really doing any data science with any of this stuff. So uh, I started writing articles that no one else was writing. And then eventually, you know, people took notice. Um, for a while there, I was sort of like, 
you know, teaching half my time and then doing football analytics half my time. And then in 2018, uh, you know, Chris Collinsworth, my boss, was ba- basically asked me to move to, you know, Cincinnati and help run data science there. And, and so we've been there for almost three and a half years or so. Um, and things have grown great, uh, greatly there. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And, and you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we can continue to sort of move the conversation forward with football. Can I ask what position you played at lacrosse? And I also have a soft spot for lacrosse as somebody that works at one of the sister UW schools. I work at Parkside. So I uh, so I when I was at MSUM, I played tight end. Okay. Um, I was a wide receiver in high school. And then, uh, you know, when I was uh, I went to college, I was like not fast enough to play wide receiver <laughs> anymore. So then I, I gained a little bit of weight and played some played tight end. And then um, and then when yeah, I, the funniest thing was when I was at UWL. I was, you know, I was involved in a lot of leadership stuff at the UW system. So I used to like take like these day trips to like UW Whitewater, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, Marshfield, Parkside. Uh, Baraboo was my favorite spot, as you probably have figured out from my Twitter, because there was a casino like maybe like 20 minutes away from there. <laughs> Any meeting that I could go to at Baraboo, I was there because the Dells were like a mile or so yep. away. Um, yeah, I, you know, Wisconsin was a, Wisconsin was a great place, honestly, like, especially lacrosse where, you know, you have the bluffs and you have the town, which is really pretty. And then you, you kind of, and then the school was also like quite good. I, I would, mm-hmm. I would consider it probably, you know, not to cast aspersions, Maggie, but I would say probably the second best school in the system behind Madison. <laughs> yeah. I would say. Um, and yeah, the students were wonderful and, and, and all that. And, you know, honestly, I, I sort of tell people when I, when I do other, you know, sort of media and stuff that I've, I've had my dream job twice. I was able to be a college professor for six years. I got tenure, all that stuff. And then, you know, for whatever reason, football decided it needed me. Uh, and <laughs> so it, it's, it's pretty, it, it's been a pretty fun ride. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you found your calling twice, I guess. Not many people get to do that. I think you're talking to right two people who have full-time jobs outside of the podcast too. So we kind of understand that like happy medium with, you know, doing a, having a career, but also having a hobby, um, all of us for all of us it is football um I think we you found it in in numbers and we just talk about the team we love (laughs) (laughs) um okay so let's dive in a little bit because I so I have to admit I listen to your and George's podcast every week I don't miss an episode I find the way that you guys look at the game to be just like very interesting and fascinating and in a way that like a lot of people are not um really talking about football and there's been so many conversations right around Twitter and the just greater community um, about fourth down decision making in the last couple of weeks. Um, and I know we all kind of collectively watch games together. And we're tweeting about it and we're like, why did someone do that decision? Why did someone not? And a big one last season, right, was that Matt LaFleur decided to kick the field goal in the NFC Championship game. But this year, he's actually by lots of PFF metrics, like been one of the best decision makers on fourth down. Um, and so I just kind of want to get your thoughts on him specifically and what he's like done differently this season. Um, and also just broader thoughts around that discussion that's been happening. Yeah. That, you know, I, I think that in, it's sort of weird, right? Because in my role at PFF, we consult with all 32 teams and then we also do media. So there's sort of this like kind of, you know, you're, you're altering the thing you're also observing type of, you know, like we build models that some of these teams use to decide whether or not to go for fourth down, and like, so it's fun, like to sort of see the league sort of evolve, but also, you know, 
it's it's fun to have like it sounds bad because like you know we have rooting interests and I'll, and I'll say like even as somebody who grew up you know rooting for the vikings living you know growing up in st paul like i find myself rooting for matt lafleur just because like i've always thought he's done the thing the right way and the the, the hard part about the tampa bay decision last january was it, it went counter to almost all of the decisions he's ever made so this season he's been the best depending upon how you measure it but like one of the best you know, coaches as far as making the right choices on fourth down. He was that way last year too. And the year before, like he had always been sort of sharp at making these decisions. And you know, that the one at the end of the NFC championship game, I actually believe that like his internals, like the people that like tell him what to do on the sideline, you know, probably told him it was right to kick a field goal because I do think there were models that, that said the field goal was the right move. And, and like, I disagree with them. I think that the, what we were putting into our models made going for it maybe a little bit more reasonable, but you know, that was one where it, that was what like tripped all of us up was that, you know, if you look at, you know, I create coaching metrics like Matt LaFleur and I got a lot of flack for this. Matt LaFleur was my top play caller last year. You know, as far as like, if you use our grades and say, you know, what would you expect a team to do, you know, based upon how good the grades are versus what do they actually do? And, like, the Packers last season were above and beyond that. And, like, what contributes to that? Well, Aaron Rodgers, up until 2020, had played sort of not mediocre football. I think that's a little bit overblown. But he had played, like, above average football when, in reality, he's a, a superstar Hall of Fame quarterback. And then, you know, the offensive line had dealt with injuries. The, the wide receiver position after Adams is not all that impressive. And yet that offense was the best you know, in football. And I think a lot of that's attributed to Lafleur, sort of like getting Rodgers to buy in, getting him to do things that he wasn't necessarily doing in the end of, end of the McCarthy era as well. And, you know, and I also think like as a head coach, like he's in that conversation with Reed, Harbaugh, Belichick. And like a lot of people were just like, Oh no, he like, look at what he's given. And it's like, well, I, I don't, did I miss the meeting when the Packers in 2017 were had a losing record, 2018 had a losing record, and then now the guy is going to win 13 or more games for three straight years. So to me, I think part of his brilliance is the fact that he does the right thing on fourth down, where I think a lot of people in football will look at guys like Shanahan and McVay and, you know, even and Andy Reid has actually improved a lot in this metric as well. But like, look at the guys who they think are brilliant football minds who dump expected points and, you know, win probability all over the field. Lafleur is maybe maybe he's a nine out of 10 compared to those guys tactically as a football coach. But then he adds to that by going for the right fourth downs and, and that kind of thing. Now, he's still got issues with timeouts and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I think that that's yeah. really well documented. Yeah. But like. In, in the realm where no coach is perfect, I think Matt LaFleur is a great example of these things. And that's why like the fourth town discourse with him in January last year was so surprising because that was like one of the few errors he made all year. Just, you know, happened on the biggest stage of his uh, career. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like I tend to agree a lot of the times with the decisions that he makes, especially like I, I think the convert you brought up something interesting, right, where it's like he has Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's been the asterisks on him being in that top coaching conversation and yet again you remember Rodgers was not playing his best ball at the end of the Mike McCarthy area and Matt LaFleur came in with an entirely new like scheme and you know obviously had to marry that with what Aaron Rodgers is good at which is you know 
this beautiful offense that we're seeing now. Um, but I think that he deserves to be in that conversation for all the things that you've mentioned, regardless of who his quarterback is. Like he has, I think, created like a very pure and exciting offense. And I'm, I think he won't get the recognition um, that he totally deserves until he does have a court, another quarterback under center. And like that scheme ends up having success with that new quarterback. Well, I think he's compared a lot to George Seifert, right? Because Seifert took over Bill Walsh's team in 89 and then they went 14 and two and 14 and two and they won a Super Bowl and then lost an NFC title game. And then it was until 94 where he had Steve Young instead of Montana that he won another Super Bowl. He really got the recognition. But even then, like people will always ding a, ding a coach if they come in with a Hall of Fame quarterback when I think it takes a lot to win a Super Bowl or it takes a lot to go to championship games. And, you know, we're going to talk about the Vikings today. Like, you know, like it's, you can have these transient times where you have good teams and you go to championship games, but then they sort of like, you know, abate after that. But to, to consistently put your team in like having a buy, you know, every single year and having, you know, sort of, um, you know, expectations be what they are. Like, I think that's a humongous feather in his cap. And in, in 19, the team wasn't even like in 19. I don't even think the com- constituent parts for the Packers were all that great, but he somehow made them 13 and three, you know, I think by good coaching. And then nine yeah. in 20, they were amazing you know, parts. And he, you know, guided the ship this year with injuries and things like that. I think all, it's probably his best coaching performance so far cheers to the new year ladies we're excited to be bringing in the new year with our sponsor manscaped the producer of the only ball trimmer i trust to treat my man well is leaving 2021 with a new product to keep him clean introducing their brand new ultra premium body wash we have a special offer as our new year's present to you get 20 percent off and free shipping when you use code pwss20 at manscaped.com The new year doesn't always have to mean a new man, but it does mean it's time to get him a new ball trimmer just in time for 2022. Get him the best trimmer in men's grooming with Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 so he can ring in the new year the right way. Manscaped created the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on creating a comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Say goodbye to beard hair around the sink because this trimmer is waterproof. Time to get him to shave in the shower. And while he's in there, make sure he has the new ultra premium body wash from Manscaped to leave him feeling and smelling good. Their body wash is the perfect addition to his self-care routine. It's also infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. The perfect way to leave him feeling confident once he gets out of the shower is with the Manscaped Refined Cologne. It seriously leaves him smelling amazing and features their same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, the perfect complement to his self-care collection. With Manscaped, he'll look and smell like a new man. Use the code PWSS20 for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Update his confidence with the right tools and perfect sense this new year with Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PWSS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PWSS20. Upgrade his 2022 self-care routine with Manscaped. Yeah, Perry and I talk about that a lot. Just the growth, you know, even from his introductory presser where the media was like, man, is this the guy? Like he was so timid and nervous and just to see the kind of his style develop over three years and the way the offense has grown, even though obviously last year you can't beat their number one offense that they had has just been really interesting. But, you know, one of the things Perry and I wanted to ask you about too is 
market indicators. And, you know, if you wanted to maybe give some background on that for people listening that may not be as familiar with them in general, but like, how do, do you, how does PFF, how do you view market indicators as a key for success or, you know, does success dictate the market? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I think that this year, so our metric has Green Bay as the second best team in the NFL behind Kansas City, something like six and a half, seven points better than the average team on a neutral field, which I think if, you kind of view the Vikings as a little bit better than average, at least their players. They don't end, end, ever end up giving that. But, like, that's why they're six-and-a-half-point favorite Sunday, uh, you know, at Lambeau. Home field advantage has not been as good as recent years, so that's where the number comes. But you look through the totality of the season, and they, the Packers simply have not been given the respect on the betting markets. And I think, you know, it comes it, – it's sort of weird. Like, I, I did this podcast for Pinnacle Sports, a sportsbook in, in Europe that, um, you know, you know, basically where I was like, I think the Packers are a good value to win the Super Bowl in the NFC because early in the offseason when it wasn't clear whether or not Aaron Rodgers was going to be on the team, they the market was sort of like it couldn't pick one thing, right? So if, if Jordan Love would have been the Packers quarterback, the, the win total might have been something like seven and a half, and they might have been, you know, 50 to one to win the Super Bowl. And if Rodgers was the quarterback playing as well as he did last year, you probably could have put that number at 11 wins, right? A win total of 11 wins, which people think is low, but that's actually one of the higher ones you're ever going to give a team preseason just because of noisy stuff happening. And then maybe like 10 to one to win the Super Bowl. And the market was sort of like in this weird place where they were giving the Packers like nine and a half wins, sometimes 10, and then like 20 to one. And people were like, depending upon what you believed about Rodgers, people were betting both sides. And so they were getting equal action. And then when Rodgers decided he was going to play, th- the market did not shift all the way over to the to the form or sorry to the latter group of numbers. It sort of it sort of moved over a little bit, and I think that that like residual has crept with Green Bay the whole season. Which is you know you come out of the gates in Jacksonville and lose a bad game to New Orleans, and you know all the numbers go back again, and everybody's like, can this team even you know compete? And then. Every win after that, so it's like Detroit, that was kind of a grind until the second half. San Francisco, what you know, they they kind of controlled that game, but they needed a last-second sort of heroic from Rodgers there. They were underdogs in that game, which if they go to San Francisco today, they're not underdogs, I would say. And, and, and you know, you lose a team, you lose a game in Minnesota. Um, I'm trying to think of their other loss, but like they sort of they sort of creep Jeez. around and, and and then la- and then they've been covering the spread though in almost every one of those games. And so everybody's like, are they overcoming the market? And then the last two weeks, you saw partially yeah. because of Baltimore's quarterback situation, partially because people are starting to buy into them, the market moves significantly in their direction, and then they fail to cover in both games. <laughs> and, and I think that that's kind of where people are like, I, they can't quite figure out this Green Bay thing, thing. But I think it stemmed, and and this is an interesting thing in psychology and stuff. It's like you know, uh, basically you know, anchoring where it's like the off season was a really tough off season to even peg the Packers. And, you know, that has sort of had a residual effect the entire offseason for that team. That's interesting. Yeah, because I find that, like, the market isn't as high on the Packers as, like, traditional analysts are. And I think maybe, obviously, like, the market is just looking at specific key factors and not, like, at a holistic picture, which is, like, I think for me personally, why I don't always take it to be like the gospel, right? Because there's so much more that goes into a win that the market's just not going to take into account. Um, And I think a lot of it, right, is that that mental side of the game. And I think the Packers are 
a really gritty football team this season and have had to overcome a lot of adversity in order to win games, right? They've been missing their best corner, their best offensive lineman, and their best edge rusher the entire season. I mean, I know Z played early on and and we lost Jair in week four, but for for the majority of the season, they've been without three of their best players. And so um, I do think that there's certain factors of a winning football team that just don't get taken into account when you well, not only that but you know Jair Alexander was the most valuable cornerback in football last year per our war metric Bakhtiari was the most valuable left tackle or tackle in general last year and like people forget that Corey Lindsley was like the most valuable center in the NFL and he goes on to Los Angeles and again like I think that's you know you're starting to see the clues where people are like well, this just can't add up. You think yeah. about the Arizona game specifically where, you know, everybody on the Packers except for Rodgers miraculously has COVID. And <laughs> and they're like – you add, and then the Arizona Cardinals are undefeated. And so people are like, you know, that number got out to like a touchdown. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers has really ever been an underdog by a touchdown. I, I have to look back. I, I think I actually did this where like Rodgers has never been an underdog by more than – like six and a half points in a regular season game in like his career, like since like Oh nine back when the Packers got good. And like, and yeah, it's, but it makes sense, right? Like at some point in time, you lose enough players where, you know, you have to, the market has to respond, but like, you know, great coach and a great quarterback overcomes a multitude of things, I think. Yeah. And that's, it's really interesting too, to think about like, you know, the idea that in the early 2010s, Aaron Rodgers had to be Superman and kind of, you know, as long as you had Aaron Rodgers, you had a shot. And now there's so many additional factors beyond Rodgers where you've got so many different weapons, a defense that maybe hasn't been playing as well the last couple of weeks, but had been playing really well and shutting out teams. So just kind of the, the way that all of that tends to evolve. Um, but that's, you know, kind of getting into this matchup then. What do you think it is about the Vikings that poses such a challenge for Matt LaFleur and the Packers? I mean, he's undefeated in the NFC North, except for his three and two record against Minnesota. So what is it about Zimmer and the Vikings in general? Is it matchups? Is it the scheme? Well, it's a good question. So what was it? 20. So because like two years ago, this is the funniest thing if we talk about market indicators. So two years ago in 2019, the Packers swept the Vikings, and and I think in 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 like sort of spectacularly Vikings fashion, the Packers went into Met- or into uh, I always call it Metrodome, U.S. Bank Stadium, and crushed the Vikings like the Christmas Eve and cl- clinched that division. And the Vikings were five and a half point favorites in that game because you know everybody in the market like hated the Packers, loved the Vikings, and you know when you looked at the playoffs that year, the Packers were had this had the same point spread against them against the Niners that the Vikings did. So the market had the Vikings and Packers sort of you know very much the same. And and everybody and the, back then it was like, well what's the matchup and it's like, well, you know, the Packers can do this sort of thing with Zadarius and Preston Smith and Kirk Cousins hated hates interior pressure and and all this kind of stuff. And then last year the Packers throttled the Vikings in in US Bank Stadium in week 1 and then in the middle of the season there was that humongous like windstorm that happened in that. And then the Packers had no home field advantage in that game. And you looked at the point spread move like two points in the Vikings favor because the Vikings are a pretty explosive run running team. And, you know, when, if you can take Aaron Rodgers yards per attempt from nine to seven and a half, you, you, you significantly reduce their ability to win. So I think that one was very much a kind of a weird like weather game where it really played to the Vikings strengths and then I think at U.S. Bank Stadium this year, 
Rodgers didn't play well in the first half of that game, right? It was his, I think it was the first game after he had got come back from the Kansas City game. I, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a, maybe one more. Um, but he was not great. And then he had the, the throw to the sideline to DeGuara for a touchdown. And that sort of ignited it in him. But like they let the Vikings sort of control the first half of that game. And in the second half, they very much like controlled the game themselves. But Kirk Cousins is a good enough player where if you allow the Vikings to sort of stay around, he can make throws. And that's the sort of double-edged sword with the Vikings is that they always play these games tight. And that's why they always end up 500 or so. Whereas the Packers for the most part, you know, in a lot of games will extend a lead. Um, and so I think like, you know, and the, and the big thing with, with that is I, I think it's not so much the Packers matching up poorly against the Vikings. It's just that, the, the type of game the Vikings want to play is conducive to a coin flip every once in a while. And like in that game, I just think the Packers got unlucky. They had the interception that it was called back because of kind of a bad uh, uh, hit to the head on the quarterback. Yeah. They had an interception at the end of regulation that probably should have stood and, and the, the, the officials took it away. So like, I don't know, like I think that like my take on the Vikings is that they're a good enough team to compete with anybody and that includes Detroit, and that includes Green Bay. And, like, in that game, the Packers just kind of got unlucky. Yeah, it does kind of feel like – like, when, whenever the Packers go into any game, it's you can always make an argument that they can walk out of that game with a win. And with the Vikings, it just seems like they play each other so hard every time. And I think there's something to be said for, like, division matchups and common opponents. And even Rodgers has talked about how – his matchups with Zimmer defenses over the years have been like some of the most challenging that he has had. I, I have been wondering it obviously going into this week and I'm curious what your thoughts are that around, like just what the Vikings do successfully against the Packers. Well, I think that they take advantage of, you know, what the Packers kind of are traditionally, um, which is a team that will play. So if you look at, like I tweet out these like scheme graphics and everybody talks about sort of the, Los Angeles Chargers, the Denver Broncos, and the um, Los Angeles Rams is these like sort of Fangio two high teams. And like the Packers are sneaky that team, right? They're sneaky. They play six defensive backs. They play the two safeties deep. And all those players are good. Savage, Amos, all those guys are good football players. But you do that at the expense of, of, of allowing running the football. And that's why you've seen teams like Buffalo lose to Indianapolis and Tennessee, but kill Kansas City because of the styles sort of aspect of it that's why you know like i said like when the vikings are allowed to run the football you know you can put men in the box but if you're if your base defense is to play hot too high and try to man up you know fit the run with six players like you're not going to be as effective at that because you're it's you're playing left-handed to yourself and so uh, you know that that's kind of where i see them where a lot of their defensive linemen are athletic guys but they're not necessarily big guys and so the Vikings can kind of like manipulate the line of scrimmage there. And then when they played in, in uh, November, Kirk Cousins was just playing really good. Yeah. Football, mm-hmm. Right. And, and like, and Justin Jefferson's amazing. You didn't have Jair Alexander, which I think is like a big, like Jair Alexander is one of the best players in the entire NFL. And so when he's out, like and Rasul Douglas has been a great story and guy Channing Sullivan and guys like that are great stories. But like I would never want to have them man on man against Justin Jefferson and have a have a game where like the Vikings are deciding, you know, like oftentimes they'll just like not throw him the ball, which doesn't make any sense. But like when they de- finally decide to like play the good plays and throw the ball to Jefferson, like he's hard to stop. And, and I think that that's a big thing. So to me, it's, it's running the football and they get Dalvin Cook back this week, which I think. You know, I don't necessarily know if it moves the needle a ton, but it, it certainly 
when you think about explosive plays, he can make those in the run game. And the Packers, again, like are, they're just not built to stop the run on defense. They're built to stop the pass, which I think over a 17-game season, that's how you win 13 games. But in any one particular game, it can really be a nuisance to you. Yeah, and I think we we saw that trending too, where in the first half of the season, the offense took a really long time to get going and the defense was keeping them in really close games. And now we're kind of seeing that flip where the Packers offense had put up 30 plus points, obviously dropped uh, down to 24 against the Browns, but then you're playing really heavy running teams that don't necessarily have weapons in the passing game. So I think it's a big test for them going into Sunday night, knowing that you've got Justin Jefferson, you've got a really good quarterback that can manage a game. And then you also have Delvin cook, you know, the Packers gave up 219 yards on the ground last week. It was the first time a rusher all season eclipsed hundred yards. And, you know, that's starting now a, a downward trajectory where you don't want to be kind of letting all that pile up going into the playoffs where you're going to see more complete offenses um, for a defense that had looked so good in that first half. Yeah. And I think uh, they do luck out a little bit. The Vikings offensive line isn't great and they're a little bit banged up. There's some guys on the COVID list, but also just not necessarily healthy. Um, And then Adam Thielen, uh, you know, had ankle surgery this past week. And so he'll be out. And the biggest concern I had with the Vikings offense, like, like you said, Kirk Cousins is a pretty good quarterback who, you know, we talk about his salary, but like that hay is in the barn. He 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 can make the throws that are necessary. Now, he has broken ribs and that that has hampered him. He has not played nearly as well over the last four weeks or so as he had played in the previous, like basically the rest of the season. Um, and like my biggest concern with the Vikings is, you know, you lose Irv Smith in the preseason to an injury. You have Justin Jefferson. Back then it was Diggs. Right. But they've always sort of had this problem once they committed to sort of the Dalvin Cook offense, which is, oh, we only need two wide receivers when no, like that's kind of a problem the Packers have, too, which is like when you have one great guy and you face a defense that's going to be committed to stopping him, you need your secondary players to step up. And, you know, K.J. Osborne's had an OK year and like Amir Smith-Marset had a touchdown, uh, you know, in I believe it was the Bears game. But like for the most part, those aren't starting NFL receivers. And so, you know, I think that that's where the Packers probably have to force, you know, the the Kirk to throw to these secondary guys. And I think they'll have success if, if that's the case. Yeah, when I saw the Thielen news, my first thought was like, okay, that makes the Vikings a little less multidimensional. Because then you know just like the two guys you kind of have to cover. And of course, easier said than done, right? Justin Jefferson is, I think, going to end up being like one of the best wide receivers in the league. I and mean, we were already talking about him in that conversation. And Dalvin Cook has torched this Packers run defense before, but it does, it takes away one more playmaker that the Packers need to cover because there really is not that many others for them. But I mean, we've seen this defense, like, you know, give up more to lesser players as well. So you never know, but it is going to be like, I think negative degrees at Lambeau and Kirk is not great in prime time, um, which is something I always look at also. I mean, it's not, you know, the most holistic stat in the world, but he does kind of fold under pressure a lot in those like big primetime moments. So it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be closer um, than Packers fans necessarily want it to be. Um, two more questions for you, Eric, less around the Vikings, just a little bit more Packers focused, mainly because running backs and AJ Dillon specifically has been a topic of conversation and I'm not going to like rehash it. Um, obviously we, we know how we all stand, but I think that I've been thinking like, how do you best maximize an AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones who are arguably two of their best weapons on offense, not just in the run game, but in the past game, pass pro, they're kind of both all around 
just good backs, um, even when the run game doesn't seem to be working. Because I feel like the last couple of weeks with the Packers, the run game just hasn't been what it usually is. And that's either due to the fact that they have four guys on the O-line who are backups, right? And they just aren't as good at run blocking or we're going up against really strong defensive fronts. So like, how do you maximize Dylan and Jones? Because you have to get your playmakers the balls when that run game just isn't working. Yeah. I mean, for the record, AJ Dillon's good. Like, like, (laughs) and, and, you know, I don't make the, the, the big board. And in fact, like a lot of my statistical projections like him because he's big and fast and he was actually pretty good in college. Um, mo- it's, it's mostly just like, you know, it's sort of one of those things where that kind of player, you know, in, in one of our scouts eyes didn't, you know, ever translate. And, and of course he has, um, he's gotten a lot of the hard yards for that team. The, the question about Dylan was more, and, and about maximizing the running back is more about, you know, sort of, if you use a second round pick on a player and like Dylan's been, I think a, a like 10th best running back in war this year. Like he's been, I think they're better running back, frankly, running the football and, and, and in some cases catching it as well. You only one person gets the football in that offense and, you know, sort of using the 12 million APY on, on Aaron Jones and then using a second round pick on Dylan when your first round pick that year was going to be a guy who probably sat for two years. That was kind of where we thought about the capital allocation of being like, does this make a lot of sense, especially in light of the Deguara signing too, where he's kind of in, luckily I think he's played actually really well this year in, in the stead of Robert Tanyan. But like the, the question is how do you maximize that? Cause it's hard because you put them both on this, on the field at the same time. And one of them's doing something they're not comfortable with either playing fullback or wide receiver. And then, you know, you split them, but then you're, you're running the ball a lot in an offense that has Aaron Rodgers as quarterback. And then you're questioning like, okay, are we even putting the ball in our best players hands? And then, you know, there's some of the hidden stuff where like, I think pass blocking for running backs is super important, but like you can get it almost anywhere, um, you know, like with undrafted guys and stuff like that. So those are really the criticisms of sort of the way that they've allocated resources at the running back position. I think for the most part though, those two players have played really well. And it was just the only, the the big head scratcher was why they re-signed Jones because you know, Jones is wonderful, but the Dylan Dylan's now probably going to go through his entire rookie contract without being a starter for the most part. And that's just a, a tough thing when you kind of look at this team and, you know, especially along the offensive line, you need players. And especially, you know, there, there's some guys like, you know, and get the Gary pick has mostly worked out. And in the secondary, I think that they're great and linebacker, they've gotten lucky with uh, Devondre Campbell and stuff like that. But like, that was always the, the question with Dylan was, were they doing it properly? And, and in my opinion, like, I think both players are great. The hard part is going to be how do you allocate that properly? And could, and is it a, and are you solving a question or are you working really hard to solve a problem that you shouldn't have had to solve in the first place? Right. Cause like Aaron, Aaron Jones, I think proves the point specifically where you're a fifth round pick out of BYU and like, you can get that kind of talent there. UTEP. UTEP, sorry, UTEP, sorry. And and you get that you get that talent there. And you know, what are you doing using a second then on yeah. his backup? You know, that kind of thing. Where and even Jamal Williams is very effective with the Packers and not necessarily a guy that needed a, a lot of investment. But yeah, I mean, for the record, they're both great. <laughs> and the Packers yeah. have a hard problem to solve. And I think, you know, if they're 
if there were ever, and look, the proof is in the pudding. They're going to win 13 games for the third straight year. But the, but if, if there were ever problems that crept up with the roster, I think one place to point is like, well, you used a lot of resources at this position where a lot of other teams are able to get by with less. You know, now you're trying to get by with less at left tackle and, and put positions mm-hmm. like that, you know, yeah. cause and effect kind of thing. I do think A.J. Dillon brings more to the game than Jamal Williams did, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think A.J. Dillon could be, you know, a number one back uh, if Aaron mm-hmm. Jones, you know, didn't exist or if, if A.J. Dillon was on another team. I'm not sure Jamal was ever going to be a number one back. So I do think that there's an additive. But you're right. I mean, if you look ahead even to this offseason, right, the Packers wide receiver room is empty. Like, they're going to have to figure out what they're doing a, with Devonta Adams, like, number one, and then B, with the rest of their playmakers, MVS is due for for a contract extension, potentially, you know, what do you do with Alan Lazard, or do you just bring in new talent? Like, they just have Amari Rodgers. And so it is true when you're looking at, yes, this amazing running back room, and that one-two punch is phenomenal, but also you look ahead at the, this idea that, like, they're going to have to rework the entire wide receiver room, which is, anyone would argue, more important. Well, not to mention quarterback, right? I mean, like there is a the big the elephant in the room of whether or not Rogers is going to come back, and you know, at some point, like we we finally we haven't really seen it with a lot of these guys, but like at some point he's got to regress. You know, he can't be this MVP caliber player forever. And 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 the other question is whether or not he can do it with Green Bay. It, he does seem content with with the situation now. They might have lucked into a situation where he might want to stay, and that's awesome. But like. Yeah, like you said, they have tons of other questions. And like like a player like MVS, who I think is a fairly good player in a role like the number three receiver, they, they got to find that number two. And then they also – like Devontae Adams, you know, I, I think the Packers probably hate the Cardinals for trading that second and then 27 million APY for DeAndre Hopkins because <laughs> that's really what Adams is earn, has earned. And that's like probably, like what, three, four, five million over the next best wide receiver. And so the Packers are really going to have to pay up for him. And, and, and that's, of course he's earned it. Um, yeah. it, it just doesn't, it, but that doesn't mean it's not difficult. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just so many questions, especially, you know, going into the off season. I know Rogers had said in his presser, he'd make a quick decision, whether he retires, looks elsewhere or stays, but you know, even if Rogers and Adam stay and break every single record that exists in franchise and alls, you've still got a defense that needs to be completely reworked because you're losing so many guys, Devondre Campbell, Russell Douglas, one-year contracts, potentially not seeing any more production from Z. Just there's so much to figure out, and I'm thankful that I am not Russ Ball. I mean, this is all in as the Packers get, basically. Yeah. When you look at this offseason, like it's going to be an overhaul no matter what, even if Rodgers stays, and if especially if he doesn't, right? If, it, if he rides off in the sunset, retires, goes somewhere else, and it's Jordan Love, like that's even more of a, of a rebuild than I think <laughs> – you haven't seen the Packers have to do that, obviously, in decades because they just went from Farb to Rodgers. And sure, there was that one six and ten season with Rodgers, but like this is going to be, I think, a huge test for the franchise. Um, looking very far ahead now. <laughs> um, all right, one last question because we've kept you way longer than we we would have liked. So thank you for your time. Um, with the two games left in the regular season, who are the biggest contenders in your mind? And What's your too early Super Bowl matchup prediction? 
Well, I think our simulation would say that it's Packers Chiefs. I think it's a 12% chance that that particular matchup happens, which is pretty sweet given that that was, you know, they they, they named it after it happened, but that was Super Bowl one. So that's kind of cool that if it would become Super Bowl 56, that would be awesome. Um, Rodgers and Mahomes, even though the Chiefs and Packers have played twice during that, that era, they've never played each other before. So that'd be kind of cool. It would also, um, you know, I think, I think people like from what I could tell, there's a lot of like people in Wisconsin whose second best team is the Chiefs. And there's a lot of people in Kansas City whose second best team is the Packers. So like it would also there, there it would just be a fun Super Bowl um, to, to yeah. do. Um, I think the one and, and this is why you all are, are very big Arizona fans this week. Um, I think Dallas is the one that, you know, I think they're kind of where the Chiefs were maybe a month ago where the defense has gotten healthy. They figured it out a little bit. And the quarterback just wasn't playing all that great. He was he was an elite guy that was just not getting it on the green that much. And then when he does, the team's scary. And, th- and that was where the Chiefs were about a month ago. Their defense had rounded into form. But Pat was kind of not quite there. And they're sort of winning games 19-9 and stuff like that. And then once he's turned it on, they look unstoppable. So to me, I think in the AFC, it's very much Kansas City and then I think Buffalo. Like I'm, I really only pick teams that have like elite quarterbacks. Kansas City, Buffalo, and then I think, by the way, Chiefs very fortunate that uh, the Chargers lost to Houston last week because I think Herbert, if he got in the playoffs, would be dangerous. And then in the NFC, to me, it goes Green Bay, Dallas, Tampa Bay. I, I don't, I can't really buy into the Rams. I think Stafford kind of stinks, especially now. And, you know, the Niners and the Cardinals, they, they're all kind of pretenders to me. So those are the three teams, and I mean, if you got like an ice bowl reunion in in, in January with the pa- Packers and Cowboys, that'd be kind of sweet. Uh, obviously, Tampa Bay Packers would be a fun rematch, and uh, yeah, I, I think we're, we're we're in a spot where all the teams that are contenders are pretty fun. I think the Cowboys scare me the most, just from like when you talk about offensive weapons, like that's a team that just has too many, and that I think would be like the biggest test for the Packers, and it would also be just from a, you know, fandom standpoint, like Mark McCarthy back at Lambeau, maybe, or like them down in, in Texas where they won the Super Bowl together with Rogers. Like those stories are fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I, I don't know what's the, like, I, I have, um, you know, I have a lot of family members who are Packer fans. When I met Mike McCarthy, I was like, Hey, from all my family to you, thank you for winning a Super Bowl." But has he, how has he gone in the eyes of Packers fans? Do you guys have like, a, a positive opinion of him are you glad he's gone but happy like are you like would you it, obviously you don't want to see him win the Super Bowl because that would be obviously you guys not winning the Super Bowl but are you happy for his success right now yeah I, I think that you know there's a majority of Packers fans who appreciate what he did and the success he had with Rodgers and Ted Thompson but you know I think everybody realizes at some point that the good things come to an end and his play calling the last couple of seasons, it got stale. And I think a fresh start was kind of needed on all sides, even, you know, the same with the GM with Ted Thompson and now Goody's, you know, making moves and Matt LaFleur looks great. So I think there was like a mutual, you know, I, I didn't like the way it happened to mid season. Personally, I kind of wished that, you know, somebody that won a Super Bowl for your franchise could have the respect of finishing out the season and then, you know, parting ways that way. But yeah, I, if the Packers, you know, it feels sacrilegious to root for the Cowboys, but if the Packers weren't in a position to win something, I I would have no problem with Mike McCarthy winning another ring. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I'd say the the midseason was hard, but it was time. It was obviously yeah. time for everyone. And when he got the the new job, I was pumped for him again. Not didn't love that it was the Cowboys, but <laughs> but it, it is fun to see him, you know, have success because he's by all counts a great dude. Also, I think he would have went to Pittsburgh if Tomlin wasn't so uh, uh, on on in a, you know Tomlin's sort of like he's going to have that job until he want it doesn't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think he was, he, you know, being from Pittsburgh and stuff, like, I think, you know, the, the fact that somehow Tomlin took Mason Rudolph and duck Hodge just eight and eight was really the reason he's in Dallas now. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us again. Um, before we let you go, can you just let everyone know where they can find all your work? So I'm on uh, PFF underscore Eric on Twitter. Uh, as Perry said, I have a podcast called the PFF Forecast, which is basically like every Sunday after Sunday Night Football. So that's late, but obviously you can listen to it Monday if you want. And then Wednesday nights. Um, yeah, that, that's that's basically it. PFF.com. We're doing a lot of a great work now. Um, and I think we have a sale if people want to uh, sub to the website. Um, but yeah, the, thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. And it's always cool to chat Packers because uh, – you know, I think it's it's you know, one of the storied franchises in the league. Well, we definitely appreciate you. And anytime you want to come back on, uh, <laughs> open invite. So thanks, Eric. Thank you again to Eric Eager for coming on the podcast. That was a great discussion. Always enjoy just hearing about the game from different perspectives. Um, and obviously is very uh, plugged into the whole league with the NFC North, like specifically. Um, and if you're not listening to PFF Forecast and you enjoy uh, PFF or you don't enjoy PFF and I would still suggest it because it's quite um, intriguing. Okay, we're going to get into our game predictions now. Um, as usual, it is week 17. Where did this season go? <laughs> I don't understand. Um, there was no Thursday night football tonight. I realized this morning that I do not have a game to watch tonight, which is kind of sad. So we just have Sunday and then our final Monday night game. So let's get into the Sunday early slate. Um, not a whole lot of good games, but a couple, I think, uh, that are going to determine playoff seating. So let's start with some of the you know easier ones um, in Giants-Bears. Giants are going to Chicago. Um, I'm actually going to take the Bears. Me too. I mean, the they responded against Seattle, and I think that – you know, I don't know if you want to say Matt Nagy's fighting for his job at this point. Um, that decision may have already been made, but especially with the really just unfortunate passing of Jeff Dickerson, longtime ESPN uh, reporter for the Brown for the Browns for the Bears, um, I think it's a it's a win for Chicago this week. Yep, I'm with you. Um, another one that I think should be an easy win: the Jaguars are going up to New England. Um, I think New England should win this game by two scores. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if it's close, I think I'd be concerned as a Pats fan. Yeah. Um, okay, so the first game in the early slate that's got some playoff implications is the Rams are traveling to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Um, we've been seeing that Lamar is practicing a little bit more. So I think this is going to be a really close game. I actually want to give the nod if Lamar plays to the Ravens. I think they're fighting for a playoff spot. They're actually not even in um, – they're not seated right now. They're they're in the hunt. And so they need these wins. Yeah. I think um, I'm going to take the opposite of you. I'm going to take the Rams. I just think, you know, they're, they're in a, in a potential where the Cardinals can drop this week and the Rams are, you know, the front runners in the NFC West. So 
I think that they're going to keep their foot on the gas to, to get a home playoff game. Okay. Our first difference. <laughs> um, Bucks go to the Jets. This is an easy one. I, I think Tom Brady and the Jets and the, well, Tom Brady and the Bucks cruise to a win. Um, honestly, it's rude of the schedulers to have given them such an easy end of the season schedule. <laughs> yeah. And if you're talking about any single player that knows how to beat the Jets, it is Tom Brady. True. True. Okay. The Falcons, who are also kind of in playoff contention still, travel up to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Um, I think this is an easy win for the Bills, though. Yeah, the Bills know it's at stake, especially now that they also are front runners in their own division. Yep, it's true. Okay, now a couple of these are, wow, going to be really good games. Thank God for Red Zone. Um, the Chiefs <laughs> travel to Cincinnati to take on Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Joe Burrow just put up 525 yards in his last game. Um, this is going to be so fun. If the Bengals win, I think they clinch up their division yeah a lot needs to happen for the Bengals to not you know claim that last spot but I'm taking the Chiefs I think you might be disagreeing with me here but I I feel like it's the Chiefs I although I love the Bengals offense look it's interesting because the Bengals have been really up and down this season but they have every tool Mm -hmm. to be able to stop you know to beat the Chiefs um, and I think this is a really big test for Joe Burrow. I might just take the bagels. Okay. All right. Next one. Dolphins Titans also has playoff implications because the Dolphins, if they win out, make the playoffs. Yeah. I, I don't know. Every time I bet against the Dolphins, I end up eating my words. So I think I'm just going to take the Dolphins this week, and it's going to be the one week that they drop. Yeah. I was going to say – I. They're going to Tennessee. I don't know. I don't know, think I trust the Titans, though, to be honest. Not not as much as I did, you know, before they lost Derrick Henry, that's for sure. Okay, I think I'm going to take the Dolphins, too. Let's, <laughs> Let's do it. it. Let's, Let's go do down it. together. All right. Last, or no, two more early slate games. Raiders, Colts. Um, the Colts the are Colts. kind of a mess right now, but I'm definitely taking them anyway. Yes. I still think they're a Even better. without Wentz, that might be better for them. Honestly, I was going to say, like, just run Jonathan <laughs> Taylor and trust your defense. They're getting Darius Leonard back. I, I'm going Colts. Yep. Okay. And then Eagles-Washington. I'm going to take the Eagles. I think the Eagles, again, are pl- fighting for a playoff spot right now that they could potentially sneak into, like, that seventh seed. And they've been playing some pretty good football. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm taking the Eagles. I'm lost on faith in Washington. And I just... After that beatdown from the Cowboys, I don't think there's any way they recover from that to close out the season. I agree with you. All right, late slate games. We've got Broncos, Chargers. Um, I think the Chargers need this one. I'm going to take the Chargers. They do. Agreed. Um, Texans, Niners. It's in San Francisco. Again, another team that needs this win. I can't imagine. I mean, I don't know. Are the Texans a threat all of a sudden? Like, could the Texans go to... San Francisco and beat the Niners. The Texans and Lions are just going to have a lot of fun these next couple weeks trying to play spoiler. But I think the Niners, you know, they're one of those should be playoff kind of teams at this point. So I think they hang on. Okay. I agree with you. Um, Lions, Seahawks. Lions. I'm taking the Lions. I want to take the Lions. (laughs) Yeah. I want to take the Lions in this game. I hope they win. Cool. 
That's funny. Okay, and this is the late slate game that I think is going to have everybody captivated. We talked about it a little bit with Eric, obviously, but it's Cardinals-Cowboys. Cardinals are headed to Dallas. I just don't see a way the Cardinals beat this team at home. No. I know the Cowboys win. I do too, and I, I don't know if I think it's even close. Yeah, I mean, the, Cowboys, the Cardinals have not been playing. They're not the same team as they mm-hmm. were before the Packers went and played them, that undefeated mm-hmm. team. I guess this has been kind of a trend with um, – Cliff Kingsbury as they kind of drop off at the end of the season, but the Cowboys are on fire. They're in the op, they're the opposite. They're trending in that right direction. Um, yeah. It's going to be a really fun game to watch. Really All right. Last one is Panther Saints. That's a toilet bowl. Um, <laughs> I like don't even want to pick. I think I'm going to take uh, the Panthers. All right. I'll take the Saints just to do the opposite. <laughs> All right. We have, we talked Vikings Packers. We actually didn't pick. Yeah. Game. So I say the Packers win. Um, I think it's going to be like 35, 31. I think it's going to be a close one. All right. I um, unpack a day. My score was 27, 24. I think there's going to be a couple field goals in there. And uh, hopefully the Packers are on the right side of that game winner this, this week. Cool. I like it. Um, and then Monday night, Brown Steelers. Taking the Browns. They need everything to go right for them to make the playoffs, but the offense is starting to get healthier. They're starting to get players back from COVID. So yeah, one more week just for it to all fall apart in week 18. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with the Browns as well. They're just better team than the Steelers, honestly, at this point. Okay. Wow. Fun episode. I hope everyone enjoyed that. As usual, follow me on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. Follow Maggie at Maggie J. Loney. Please follow the podcast at PWSS Podcast on Twitter, Pax What She Said on Instagram and Twitch. Um, we do have a new YouTube channel. So if you are not able to see our live recap shows on Twitter and Twitch, you can watch them on YouTube now, um, live or um, after the fact. I uploaded all of our old videos on there if you feel so inclined to go and watch them. So they are all there. Um, Packs what she said on YouTube. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. You know, it's a bit of a longer one, but we appreciate you. And uh, go pack up. Go pack up. And-